Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Dr. Heather Stone. Uh, She's a functional medicine practitioner. We're going to talk about thyroid-related topics, such as uh, Hashimoto's, you know, possibly thyroid cancer, Graves' disease, et cetera, and uh, thyroid health. So welcome, Heather. Thank you for coming. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me here. Well, tell me a bit about your background. Why are you interested in working on, you know, the thyroid? And then I want to ask you about your current work today. Yeah. So for me, it started out with a thyroid issue for myself that I was really determined to overcome. And when I first started dealing with symptoms, I didn't really realize that it was a thyroid issue, but I had an idea. I mean, it was many years ago, over 20 years ago before we had Dr. Google and I was an undergrad and really trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. But I was really struggling with energy levels and I couldn't lose weight and my menstrual cycles were all over the place. And so I went to an OB-GYN and I told him all of my symptoms and I said, you know, I think I might have low thyroid. And so he checked my thyroid. He said, oh, nothing's wrong with you. You're, you know, everything is fine um, with your thyroid. And I think your menstrual cycles are off because you exercise too much. And, you know, to me, I was like, that's really weird. And what he was referring to is when you exercise too much, your body fat gets really low and it impacts your menstrual cycle. But that wasn't where I was at at all. And I'm, you know, grateful that he told me that because it allowed me to have some skepticism and not take all of his information and advice, you know you know, for what it was, it was, okay, I I don't think that that's the issue. And I know I need to look a little bit deeper. And as I was leaving, he says, oh, by the way, I don't think that you'll be able to get pregnant on your own. I think you'll have fertility issues and you'll need some fertility support. And I'm like, okay, none of that really matters. And, you know, although it was disheartening and frustrating at that point, because he didn't really give me any hope or give me any help, it allowed me to say, all right, that is not the answer and I'm going to go figure it out. And so that really started my journey down this, the functional medicine route and figuring out what was going on underneath the surface. And years later, I diagnosed myself with Hashimoto's and really going down that path and being able to overcome all of those symptoms and live an amazing life. And I just knew that there were so many other millions of women who had low thyroid and of course men as well, but it's just more frequent with women. And I just knew that I had to help other women um, through this process as well. Well, let's start with uh, Hashimoto's. What what were your symptoms and what are typical symptoms of uh, someone that has Hashimoto's issues? Yeah. So my symptoms were, you know, I had low energy. I couldn't lose weight. I was about 50 pounds heavier than I am today. And, you know, I just did not have a menstrual cycle at all. And I also did, you know, I had an ectopic pregnancy and I had some issues with fertility. But once I got my immune system stabilized, all of that cleared up. But many other women who 
I was lucky because I was able to diagnose it early on. And so you have less thyroid destruction and less thyroid symptoms. But many women deal with this for decades before they ever even get a diagnosis of low thyroid, which is typically the first diagnosis that you get. And they'll experience symptoms like depression, anxiety, heart palpitations, um, can't sleep, low energy, inability to lose weight. Those are the typical symptoms that most women get hair falling out. So what is the average time to diagnosis for women that have you know, thyroid issues? I guess because of all the gaslighting and knows what else. It sounds like it's years. Yes. So typically what happens is, so uh, 90 to upwards of 98% of women who have low thyroid actually have Hashimoto's. And Hashimoto's means that your immune system is killing the thyroid tissue, right? So the thyroid tissue is slowly dying off. For some, it's quickly, but most of it's slow. And so this whole mechanism of the immune system attacking and killing the thyroid starts many years before you actually get that low thyroid diagnosis. So as this autoimmune condition turns on, which it mostly turns on after the birth of a child. Now, it can turn on with big hormonal fluctuations, like when we go through puberty or if there's major trauma and stress. Most of the time in my clinical experience, I see that it turns on after the birth of a child. So the immune system is slowly attacking and killing the thyroid. Mm -hmm. And you may start to have all of these symptoms and you go to your doctor and they get you checked. They check a TSH and that's pretty much all they check. And you'll, in the early stages, they'll say nothing's wrong with your thyroid. You just need to go lose weight and exercise. And that can be extremely frustrating for many of us because we, we know that. I mean, we don't necessarily need a doctor to tell us to go lose weight and exercise or eat less and exercise more to lose weight. And so you go and they're like, nothing's wrong with you. And so you have to keep waiting and you try everything that you know to do, right? Like eat less and less. And for most women that I see, you can't really eat less than what we are already eating and exercise more. And that's really not a good solution. So it can literally be years to decades before you actually get diagnosed with low thyroid. And that only happens once there's enough thyroid tissue that has been destroyed that the thyroid gland can no longer produce enough thyroid hormones. Well, what are some initial testing in additional TSH? What about T3, reverse T3, exactly. T4? Yeah. And people short, shortcut this years of misery. Yeah, so there's actually 12 markers that, that make up a full, complete thyroid panel. Now, not everybody needs all 12, and you don't have to have all 12 to necessarily get a complete diagnosis. But the things that are the, the markers that are the most important is yes, TSH, total and free T4, total and free T3. Um, and then you want to do reverse T3. And the two that are the most important for low thyroid are the thyroid antibodies. So TPO antibodies and antithyroglobulin antibodies would actually give you the diagnosis of Hashimoto's if they're outside of the lab range. Hi. Now there's another one. It's thyroid stimulating immunoglobulin. And if that's high, it's typically indicative of Graves' disease, which Graves' disease is another autoimmune disease where the immune system is attacking the thyroid. And when you have Graves' disease, most of the time you're in hyperthyroid. Now, 
It's a different mechanism than Hashimoto's and Graves' disease can be um, dangerous because when you're in hyperthyroid, you're at risk for heart attacks and stroke because you have so much thyroid tissue being destroyed and it's releasing lots of thyroid hormones. That that usually requires, um, you know, an immediate medical intervention. But with Hashimoto's, you can also have moments of hyperthyroid, but they just uh, they're not sustained. Like you can go in and out of hyperthyroid as the immune system is attacking and killing the tissue. Because when the immune system attacks the thyroid and those cells die off, when they die off, they essentially like burst open and release lots of thyroid hormone. And so you'll have lots of fluctuations in your your thyroid hormones when you do have Hashimoto's. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Can you go over some of the testing and what each thing means? You know, what does TSH show? What does yeah. antibody show? What does free T3 show? Yeah, so TSH, essentially, it stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. And what most people don't realize is it doesn't come from the thyroid. It comes from the pituitary. So this is the body's way or the pituitary's communication to the thyroid to produce T4. Now, T4 is the main hormone that is produced by the thyroid. And then T4 gets converted into T3. And T3 is the more active form of thyroid hormone. Now, you want to really look at when I said total T4 and free T4. Like when you look at total T4, that is protein-bound T4 and that is also free T4. So if you want to look at the analogy like a protein-bound T4, it is when we all go window shopping. We all go window shopping and we're looking at all the things in the windows. We look at the outfits, but we don't ever go in and actually spend money. And so, you know, it, it doesn't help us a lot, especially if you're the retailer, if everybody's window shopping and they don't actually go in and buy anything, right? So the buyers are like, the free T4, where they actually bind to the cell and you can actually utilize that thyroid hormone. There's another analogy that I like to use, like everybody's, all the protein bound T4 is like driving in a taxi cab. They're driving around, but they're not actually getting out, right? So when it's protein bound, it's essentially inactive and we have to cleave off that protein so it can bind to the receptor site and become active. So there is a difference between total T4 and free T4. You want to really understand, does your body have the ability to cleave off that protein and actually bind to the receptor site? So that's why you want to order free and total of T4 and T3. And the reason you want to order T3 is so that you can understand, do you have a conversion problem? So many people have a conversion issue where they're not converting T4 to T3 and you'll have all the same symptoms. So many doctors mostly run just TSH. 
and they prescribe medication based on TSH alone. So if TSH is high, that means that you have low thyroid hormones, theoretically. And then they would give you a thyroid medication. And most often that would be like Synthroid or Levothyroxine or Tyrosin. Those are mostly T4 medications. And then that's really all that gets looked at. But so many of us have an underconversion issue where the T4 is fine, but we're not converting it into T3. And about 70% of the time, the conversion happens in the liver. Another 20% of the time it happens in the gut. And then the last 10% is just in other various places in the body. So you have to, you have to really understand the markers to run. You have to understand thyroid physiology and how to interpret these lab tests so that you understand what's going on with the body. And a lot of times when we look at the thyroid, it's the easiest thing to do is just jump to T4 medication or T3 medication um, instead of really understanding thyroid physiology. And I'll tell you, there's many times where when we look at the full thyroid panel, it's like, hmm, that pattern doesn't really make sense if we're just looking at the thyroid. Maybe the pituitary needs support. Maybe it's coming from either even further upstream. So, well, so it's it- like two uh, microbiome issues. So the gut component can fall out, you know, liver is supporting, yeah. the liver could be stressed. Like, I was going to ask you, what? see, you talked about some of the recipe for T4 to T3 conversion, but, uh, you know, how deeply have you looked? I don't know if anyone's really looked. You know, when someone has low conversion, what are the typical reasons why? What is it that's falling out? Is it a little bit of everything or is it more liver or et cetera? Yeah, it could be many things. But you know what's interesting is that there's a big component of underconversion where there's an issue with detoxification. So um, you'll also typically find high blood sugar levels, right? Or the glucose starts going up or the A1C starts going up. And what's happening is a body's trying to regulate the metabolic rate. So when your body you is trying to make energy, it takes glucose from the blood, pulls it into the cell, and it makes ATP right? ATP is your energy. And then when it converts glucose into ATP, there's a waste product or what we would call reactive oxygen species, right? Or it's also looked at like oxidative stress. So the body has to take that reactive oxygen species or the waste product and it has to get rid of it. Now, if it's not getting rid of it through the liver, through digestion, through elimination, through sweat, all the detoxification pathways, then that waste product continues to build up in the body and it creates a lot of inflammation and quick aging. Well, the body is always working in a protective mode. So it's always trying to say, okay, what do we do to improve survival? And at that moment, having more toxins build up in the body is more detrimental than having a little bit higher blood sugar or maybe having um, an underconversion issue. So it's trying to downregulate the metabolism so that we can get rid of these reactive oxygen species at the rate that our body is able to. So it's pretty cool when you start to understand, you can see these different patterns when we're looking at the labs. And when we really understand physiology and we don't only focus on the thyroid, but we really broaden and look at the whole body's physiology because it all works together. When you can start opening up all of the detoxification pathways, get the gut working better, optimize liver function, we're clearing out toxins, 
well, your blood sugar starts to go down. You can create more energy. Your your actual energy starts to go up. And then you start to see this conversion happening, you know, a little bit better. So the other thing that we look at, you'll notice another marker called reverse T3. And reverse T3 um, will be high when there is adequate level of T4, but the body's trying to downregulate the conversion. So it, it pushes a lot of the T4 into reverse T3. And essentially it's just downregulating your metabolism so that your body, the waste products and the toxins don't build up in the system. So the fix for that is working on your body's ability to detoxify. And there's a gajillion ways to do that. Well, when you help people and they get healthier, do they have to reduce their Synthroid or Levo prescription because well, now they're converting really well and maybe it's too much for them? Yeah. So it'll go both ways. So a lot of times what will happen is when I first see a patient, let's just for you know an example, say that their TSH looks pretty good. It's within the functional range and they're on thyroid medication. Now, as we start to calm down and balance the immune system and those antibodies start to drop and the body's starting to function better, sometimes the TSH goes up, which we would think initially, well, that doesn't seem like a very good sign. But in reality, what's happening is if you can calm down the immune system and it's decreasing the attack on the thyroid, you have less thyroid cells dying off. And so you may need to increase your thyroid medication. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Now, on the other hand, if we start really working on conversion, the T4 to T3, many patients decrease their need for T3 support, right? So there's, you know, liothyronine is one of those and all of the more natural ones like armor thyroid and NP thyroid. That's mostly T3, although there's a T4 component. But in that instance, a lot of times we do see a decreased need for medication. What about when people lose weight? Uh, how sensitive to weight is the uh, synthroid and the other medications? Yeah, I don't really see a huge change necessarily with their medication based on weight loss. I think that, you know, most of our patients, it, and it's hard to say, is it the weight that's impacting the thyroid or all the other things in their physiology that's happening? Because, you know, weight is just a symptom of an underlying imbalance, right? So weight could be many, many things. And when you work in a functional model, you are really getting down to the root cause of what's creating and causing the symptoms. And as you resolve that, you know, thyroid health improves, we calm down the immune system, antibodies start to really come down. And so it's hard to say if weight loss is really impacting that or impacting the need for thyroid medication because it's all happening kind of simultaneously. Well, how does the functional medicine component, the diet, you know, restructuring help Hashimoto's or Graves? Does it impact them tremendously or is it not enough and they still need the, you know, people still need medication? Um, well, I think that uh, there's a couple of answers to that. So if you have Hashimoto's and the immune system has damaged or killed enough of the thyroid tissue where it can't produce enough thyroid hormones, really, we don't see patients able to get off thyroid medication. Now, I think it's important to understand that there's so much information on Hashimoto's and low thyroid and the diet. And, you know, that I said most of my patients come to me so confused because there's so much conflicting information. And I'd say, first of all, diet is imperative. 
to help calm down the immune system. You cannot stabilize the immune system without making sure that you're, you're following the proper dietary recommendations. And those really should be individualized. You know, I think if there's some foods that people really should stay away from, if we were talking in generalities, gluten, dairy, and soy, and corn are four big ones that most people should stay away from, especially if you have an autoimmune condition. Now, well, I, I understand three or four of those, but what, what about corn? I haven't heard that before. Yeah, so corn is mostly all genetically modified. Now, certainly you can find organic corn. But a lot of this corn, and I would say most of it, has been hybridized to have a higher sugar content. And when you have an autoimmune condition, you have to really look at how foods are impacting your blood sugar because insulin surges are a trigger for the immune system. So every time you have an insulin surge, it will cause the immune system to attack the body. And in this instance, we're talking about Hashimoto's. So Every time you have an insulin surge, it'll cause the immune system to attack the thyroid. So if you want to lose weight, if you want to stabilize the immune system, if you want to regulate your glucose, corn is a must, a, a thing that you must stay away from. Something interesting you said. So why, why would an insulin spike cause an autoimmune response? Is that why there's inflammation associated with poor diet? And with yeah, I think that... You know, I'm not necessarily sure like why an insulin surge um, causes the immune system to attack the body, but I can suspect that when you have an insulin surge, it does cause inflammation, it downregulates all of the receptor sites, and it impacts your gut health, it impacts your brain health, it impacts us on every single level. And so, you know, I think it's extremely important that we are looking and measuring our glucose, and not just if we're diabetic, right? I think that that's a, a really big fallacy. And what I have seen in clinical practice is that pretty much every person that has a weight issue has some level of insulin resistance. And, um, and that's really on a continuum, right? It starts with hypoglycemia and it moves all the way through to diabetes. And I think it was estimated, um, I can't remember where I heard this statistic, but it was estimated about 80% of the U.S. population is overweight, which is crazy. So most of us in the United States have an insulin resistance issue. And it's somewhere on that spectrum. Hey, um, also, too, in the liver as part of the conversion T4 to T3, you know, a lot of people are getting fatty liver, again, because of poor diet. It's just one of the yeah. sequelae from you know, insulin resistance that goes along with it. So I would guess maybe that's a reason that the liver is not functioning well. And so, therefore, its part in conversion you know, is taken out. Maybe that's why conversion suffers, as well as like uh, dysbiosis, you know, when people don't want proper gut microbes, again, because of uh, you know, poor diet. So I guess that's why the uh, the conversion is so impacted. Oh, a hundred percent, and that, and that that is huge. I mean, if you look at the role that the liver plays with thyroid health, and then you look at the connection between blood sugar and liver, uh, you cannot have a healthy liver if you don't have healthy blood sugar, and you can't have a healthy thyroid if you don't have a healthy liver or blood sugar. It's they all everything in the body works together, and you start to get stuck in these bi directional feed forward pathways when like blood sugar and liver, 
right? So if your blood sugar is not regulated, it impacts your liver. And if your liver is not functioning well, it's really hard to balance your blood sugar. And so you just get stuck in these, these cycles, right? And so you have to start breaking those cycles in order to really make a big impact. And of course, your gut is huge. I mean, you know, the first phase insulin response is from the parietal cells in your gut. And then the foods that we're eating are impacted by our gut. So everything works together. And I think that's one of the the biggest downfalls of Western medicine is everything is compartmentalized. And we don't realize that everything is affected in the thyroid, especially because the thyroid hormone is unique in that it is the only hormone that has a receptor site on every single cell in the body from head to toe. And so the thyroid, the thyroid hormone balance is extremely important for overall health. Well, which which cells uh, preferentially use more thyroid hormone than others? Like, you know, it, supposedly it's the brain uses like 30% of all glucose. It's a very, you know, glucose hungry organ. Has anyone looked and seen which, um, you know, which organs and which cells have uh, the highest need? For thyroid hormone to bind to them is you know if you're in a low low situation i would guess those organs would be compromised most and first yeah i'm not sure of that information i don't have that knowledge as to which organ would really use more thyroid hormone i could probably one of the things that i could think about is that because thyroid hormone regulates your metabolism right? It regulates how high or low it speeds up or slows down your metabolism, which is one of the reasons I think it has receptor sites on every single cell in the body. Um, but I don't have the data that would tell me what land uses thyroid hormone more than another. And also, what determines the uh, the dose? You know, why would someone have 50 mics versus 250 mics if weight is not uh, a very big factor? What are the factors? How does anyone determine proper doses? For me, I don't prescribe medication. I'm a chiropractor, so I don't prescribe necessarily, but I work with other prescribing practitioners to do that. And I think that really it, it just determines on the thyroid function, right? Like how well is the thyroid able to make thyroid tissue, not necessarily on dosage. I mean, I've seen really thin people on a higher dose of thyroid medication because they really don't have a lot of thyroid tissue. And then, you know, I've seen people who are overweight on very little thyroid medication. And I think it depends on the amount of thyroid tissue that's able to produce thyroid hormones. And, you know, the other interesting thing is that, you know, it, it, there's so many things that that depends on. And I don't think really anybody knows. I think there's a traditional doses that people start on, but they're there's people that we work with that have had Graves' disease and, and thyroid cancer, and they've had their thyroid taken out, and they're not necessarily taking any more or less than someone who has their thyroid in. I think there's so many other factors like liver health and gut health and all these other things that also impact the need for thyroid dosage. And a lot of times what I've seen is it's kind of a guessing game. We, we have an idea of where to start, and then you come back in and retest and find the right dosage for each individual. Yeah, I mean, people without thyroids, you know, myself, I, I lost mine in the war. Just kidding. But, uh, you know, people that don't have thyroids, you know, how is it, how is it gauged then how much thyroid I'm going to give them? How is exactly. it tuned? Yeah, I think it's very individual. I think it's quite subjective, the starting point. And then you go back with data and you look at the labs to figure out, you know, does this need to be increased or decreased based on this individual person? And it's seemingly 
is very difficult to figure that out. It is not black and white because again, the body is so interconnected and there's so many um, facets as to why someone may need thyroid medication. I think it's hard to, there's, it's not a hard and fast rule. Yeah. So is all your, all, all your work is, I guess, clinical. What kind of conditions do you specialize in? Do you, you focus more on Hashimoto's or just overall thyroid health? Like the people that, you know, ask you for help, what's uh, what are the commonalities and what they're saying? Almost all of my patient base has a thyroid issue. Most of them have Hashimoto's. Many of them don't, and they just have low thyroid. I have a handful of people. It probably follows the, you know, the population percentage of someone who might have Graves versus Hashimoto's. I have several patients who have had thyroid cancer, and they have their thyroid removed. And I mostly focus on thyroid. I have some patients that have every single symptom of low thyroid, but they don't have a thyroid issue. And so you really look at that individual person because the body, you can have every single thyroid symptom, but truly not have a thyroid problem. And that's because there's other things that go on in the body that cause the exact same symptoms like adrenal dysfunction, like insulin resistance, like liver issues, other hormonal imbalances. But the thing is, you've got to really understand that the body gives us symptoms just as warning signs so that we can figure out what's going on underneath the surface. And you have to test and we can't just guess. And and that's what happens a lot of times is we say, oh, I know that symptom um, and I'm going to treat that symptom without having actual clinical data to back up what you're doing. So when you do thorough testing, you can figure out exactly what's going on with each these individual patients and customize care. And that's what's really going to get great results. And I think the other thing that is really important um, for people who've had their thyroid removed, you know, it's interesting because you have had the thyroid tissue taken out. Now, a lot of times it's Graves. And when it's Graves disease, I said earlier that the immune system is attacking the thyroid aggressively. And so they have to take the thyroid out because there's other issues that can arise that would be detrimental. But once they take the thyroid out, they usually tell the patient, okay, you're good to go. Here's your thyroid medication. We just need to get that regulated and and you don't need to worry about that any longer. And then they come back to me with all of these symptoms and they're like, I just feel awful since my thyroid's been taken out. But the missing factor here is that they have an underlying autoimmune issue that was never addressed. They just took out the victim, right? The thyroid is the victim, but the underlying issue is a, an autoimmune condition. So you have to look to understand what are the triggers that are triggering the immune system to attack the body. And it's extremely important because once you have one autoimmune condition, you're at risk for developing multiple autoimmune diseases and even thyroid cancer. So it's really important that even though you've had the thyroid taken out, you still have to balance the immune system. And the people that have come to me that have had thyroid cancer, you have to change the environment, right? Like you can have the thyroid taken out, you can have the cancer taken out, but did you change the environment that allowed the cancer to grow? Did you change the environment so that it doesn't sustain cancer growth. And so I think that that's one of the most important factors, especially if you've had your thyroid taken out or you've had thyroid cancer, but you still have thyroid symptoms or any symptoms, you have to change the environment and you have to stabilize and balance the immune system. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So when you do the full panel on people, you know, all the 12 markers, you said you see some unusual patterns that may or may not make sense, but 
you know, having done it so many times, what, what kind of patterns do you see and how do you make sense of them? Are they typical ones? Well, I think, you know, a lot of times if they don't follow classic textbook pattern, like high TSH, low T4, then you have to dig a little bit deeper, right? You have to think, okay, is this an autoimmune condition? That's the first thing we think about. Because a lot of times when the patterns don't necessarily follow textbook description, it's almost always an autoimmune condition because the immune system attacks the thyroid and these antibodies that the immune system is producing, they go up and down. And they fluctuate minute by minute. And it's like when they went into the lab at that moment, what you're seeing is kind of like a snapshot. But things are always moving and flowing. So it's it's hard to exactly see what was happening at that moment. They could have had, you know, a spike in antibody production the day before. And then it kind of calmed down and they went into the lab. And then that's what you're seeing. But you see like a super low TSH, but normal T4. Or uh, a low TSH and a normal T4 could mean it's a pituitary issue. But you have to look at the thyroid panel in addition to all the other things that we look at, right? What is the blood sugar looking like? What is the liver looking like? What are the, What's the whole iron panel looking like? Do they have an infection pattern? Were they in a major stress response looking at cortisol levels? So you have to look at the whole person and not just take the thyroid markers, you know, by themselves because it, the body just doesn't work like that. But you have to also understand, you know, it, there's an underconversion issue. Well, why, why is that? And what that looks like is they have a normal T4, but a low T3, right? So you're not converting T4 to T3. It means that thyroid's making plenty of T4, but you just can't convert it into T3 or the body's trying to you know, it's under conversion pattern is because it's down regulating your metabolism because you're not clearing out toxins. So it's not as easy as, you know, low TSH, I mean, high TSH giving thyroid medication. You have to really understand the vastness of not only the thyroid panel, but how the whole body's physiology and how that's working together. Any other patterns that you've seen that are unusual, but you figured out what it may indicate while there's not really much literature on it in general? Not necessarily patterns. There's, I think the patterns for the most part are, you know, when you study functional medicine, I think the patterns are clear. The, the thing that I've kind of really understood lately is this super low TSH. And it looks like you don't have enough thyroid hormones. But when you look at T4, it's plenty of thyroid hormones. Uh, no, I'm sorry. When it's a low TSH and you look at T4, it's not high and it's not low, like it's normal. But in traditional medicine, if they were just to look at that TSH and they would see that it was really low, they would decrease thyroid medication. But you have to look at T4 and it's actually normal. And I, I've been seeing that that's really just either a pituitary issue or underlying Hashimoto's. And it gets to be really confusing because if you don't fix the immune system first or balance the immune system, that's the first place you have to start with someone who has Hashimoto's because a lot of the patterns clear up and they start to really fall into textbook um, once you get the immune system stabilized. So I don't try to go super in depth as to, you know, why this is not looking right. I have to first get the immune system stable and then retest. And then it usually starts to work on its own. And I think that's really important is the body was meant to 
heal, right? You are born to heal and the body is always moving to protect you. And so when you start to handle these underlying imbalances and you get things calmed down, then the body starts to heal and you don't have to, as a practitioner, go in and start, you know, fixing every little crook and cranny and imbalance. You have to start with the highest priorities. And when you start with the highest priorities, then the body starts to heal and all these patterns start to clear up and then the symptoms start to go away. So what are some things that you've heard from patients, you know, quite often as they go through the protocol and and feel better? (laughs) Well, you know, I just recently today actually got a chat. Most patients say that, you know, they got their life back. I think the biggest complaint that that I hear as patients are starting is that they don't recognize the person in the mirror. Their spouses are like, I just want my wife back. And all of that really starts to turn around. And I focus a lot on goals and motivations because that's what really keeps people sticking with it, right? That's what keeps you moving through this process. So many of us are focused on the weight because that's what we can see and a lot of us identify with. But for me, it's it's more than the weight. And the weight really is just a symptom. And if we can focus on what it is that we're actually trying to achieve that would make our lives better, and what is the motivation to do that? Like, what is it that you're really passionate about? And so many people, as your body starts to dysfunction, it shuts off those creative centers in the brain, and you really move into survival mode. Most ladies are trying to make it through the day. They wake up, and they're like, okay, how? what do I have to do today to get to where I can rest and relax at night and go to sleep again? And it's like they've lost their passion and they've lost their purpose. They just get through the day doing what it is that they have to do, taking care of their kids or going to work and doing all the things. And it's like they live the same day over and over um, without any purpose or passion. And that's what we really focus on is, is what is it that you are passionate about? And if you had all the energy in the world and you slept well and you were the perfect body size, like what would your life be like? And so really allowing them to start to be in control and in charge of their life again, be able to recognize who they are in the mirror, get their passions back again. I think that that's probably the biggest thing that I see as as women transform because it truly is a transformation. Um, because when you are sick and you have autoimmune diseases and you're not functioning well, so many things have to change in addition to your physiology, your mindset, what you're trying to create. You have to have clarity on that. And watching these ladies transform is just like, it's what gets me out of bed every day. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, very good. Uh, where, where can you help people? Do they just have to be local to you? And if so, where is that? Or do you do telemedicine? Yes, we do telemedicine. And currently, we are seeing patients in Texas, Arizona, and Colorado. But people can get a hold of me. I have a new book out called The Thyroid Transformation Blueprint. And they can go to thyroidtransformationbook.com and download the first two chapters for free. And then um, they can also join me on Facebook. I have a Facebook group of almost, I think, 17,000 ladies, and it's called Happy, Healthy, and Lean. If you click on Happy, Healthy, and Lean, you'll see my picture there, and you'll answer a few questions and pop into that group. And I do lots of master classes and lots of educational videos. And, and it's an amazing support system. So happy, healthy, and lean on Facebook is really where you can join the community. Well, very good. Well, Heather, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and 
you know, I got a lot of new ideas to consider from uh, speaking to you. So I'm glad you're open-minded and you're not just looking at, again, thyroid only and uh, being siloed. You're looking yeah. at overall health. So it makes sense why people would have better results because of that. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.